Hey, welcome back to Almost Good. Uh, so the first couple episodes have been about horror movies, and I think it's definitely going to turn out that most of the films that I talk about will be horror, uh, just because horror comprises most of what I watch. Uh, but like a lot of adults, I still really enjoy animated children's films. Um, part of that is definitely nostalgia for the movies that were formative during my own childhood, um, but I also think that part of the reason why I still enjoy children's films is the same reason that I really like horror films. I think that children's fiction and horror fiction both tend to remain really close in terms of themes, imagery, and structure to fairy tales. Certainly there's such a thing as children's horror, so it's not as though these are two totally discrete categories, but children's media on the whole and horror media on the whole are often really folkloric. There are fantastical elements, there's often the structure of a quest or a series of tribulations, there are monsters, the stakes are gruesomely high, uh, and the themes are really primal and simple and dark. Even the safest, most mainstream children's media, if it's really good, deals with some heavy thematic content. So the movie that I'm going to be talking about for this episode is the 2009 Disney film The Princess and the Frog. This movie is about grief and coming to terms with loss. There's a lot of other stuff going on in terms of the politics of the film, which I'll try to touch upon, but the story fundamentally is about Tiana coming to terms with her father's death and letting herself move on. I feel like this movie gets a little bit of a bad rap. I guess it didn't do as well financially as the studio had hoped, and I feel like I've seen people blaming it for the demise of hand-drawn animation. The circumstances of the film's release don't reflect the quality of it, though. Um, it's certainly not terrible. It's more competently put together than the likes of Atlantis the Lost Empire and Home on the Range, and I think it's better than The Emperor's New Groove, even though a lot of people seem to really like that movie for some reason. Uh, it's really beautifully animated, the characters are well-defined, the plot is straightforward, it's about something, which is always a crucial element. So where does the film fall short? I'm going to try to get into the problems that I have with The Princess and the Frog without falling totally down a rabbit hole or becoming incoherent. So I would feel remiss if I didn't mention a common criticism of the film, which is basically that even though it features a black protagonist, she spends most of the movie as a frog. Starting in 2000 with The Emperor's New Groove and also including 2003's Brother Bear, Disney made three films within 10 years that all feature a protagonist of color who spends most of the movie in the form of an animal. The crux of this criticism, as I understand it, is that Disney films are already overwhelmingly white, and on many of the occasions when they have had protagonists of color, those protagonists weren't even really presented on screen as actually visibly human. I just wanted to acknowledge that, that there is definitely a larger and more important critique concerning what kinds of stories we tell in the first place, and how and by whom those stories get told. Looking at The Princess and the Frog as it exists, the movie has some messed up stuff about class. Um, I actually really appreciate the film's ambivalence around Lottie and her father. They're well-intentioned, but they ultimately leave a bad taste in your mouth, as well they should, given their wealth and how it was accrued. But any subtle analysis that the film might have had around wealth and class and race gets muddled by the motivations of the villain. It's really messed up, to put it mildly, that Dr. Facilier is portrayed as an implicitly poor or down-on-his-luck black man whose villainy is predicated on the fact that he resents the rich white landowning class. Lawrence, the kind of sidekick villain, is likewise vilified basically for not being content with his place in the social order. The beginning and end of what makes him bad is the fact that he has aspirations above his station as a servant to the prince. So, speaking of social order, I get that Disney's whole deal is selling little girls the whole princess brand. Even most of the relatively few animated features about male protagonists like Bambi, The Lion King, Aladdin, and The Emperor's New Groove are about royalty or becoming royalty. But here's the thing. Monarchy is bad. 
If we're going to talk about what kinds of stories that we should tell in the first place, I think we need to stop telling our kids stories that romanticize aristocracy and feudal power relationships. European monarchies were fascism before fascism was invented. And every fascist movement is, at its heart, bent toward neo-feudalism. The idea that the true and good order of society is this rigid hierarchy where certain people are destined to rule, whether that's through might or purity or what have you, is vile. So that's, you know, something that I struggle with for most Disney movies, obviously. So one kind of wishes that they could have been a little more clever and less literal about the idea of Tiana as a princess. Um, and also Tiana's arc, which is the main story at the heart of the film, could have been conveyed a little bit more clearly. And also, since the film is set in jazzier New Orleans, the music should have been fabulous and they had Randy Newman do it, so it sucks. With all of that acknowledged, if the film has to exist, and if it had the same basic structure that it does have, like if we're not just going to totally write a different movie, then what should it look like? What should it look different? Um, certainly, I would like to have seen them clarify some of the class-related stuff with just a little bit of tweaked or extra exposition. Um, give Dr. Facilier more substance as a villain rather than just resentment of the ruling class. Resenting rich people doesn't make you a villain. Fantasizing about being a rich person in a world where wealth buys survival and happiness doesn't make you a villain. Make it clear that what Dr. Facilier really wants is power. Not empowerment, not freedom from power. He just wants to be the guy in charge. Take the flimsy throwaway thing about trading away other people's souls and make that more explicitly about wanting to control and exploit other people. Make Lawrence into something other than the prince's manservant. Again, not wanting to be a servant and resenting your boss doesn't make you a bad guy. They should have made Lawrence a fellow aristocrat. He should have been like Naveen's brother or uncle or something. Like he wants the crown for himself, but Naveen is in the way, so he jumps at the opportunity to participate in Dr. Facilier's scheme. Speaking of the crown, given how I feel about monarchs and aristocracy, I think Naveen should have abdicated his royalty at the end. Uh, I guess it's not necessarily conveyed to us that he doesn't do that, so maybe that's something we can just read onto the film as it is. In terms of the core narrative, Tiana's arc as the protagonist, just a little bit of sharper character development would have really helped. Um, like in the middle of the film, instead of just berating Naveen for being a useless asshole and then falling in love with him for no reason... Tiana and Naveen should have had a conversation, like a meaningful conversation. He could have asked her about how she learned to cook. She could have explained how she wants to open the restaurant. He could have been like, oh, that's why you're such a hard ass. And she could have gotten a little frustrated and explained about her dad. And the exchange could have ended with Naveen saying something well-intentioned, but accidentally cutting. Like, I really admire how determined you are to make your father's dream come true. And then we could see that Tiana is forced to take pause. She's forced to reflect on whether she's living her life for herself or whether she's living it for her father and about why she's doing that and whether she's really ever fully come to terms with losing him. And then, of course, at the climax of the film, she lets him go. And, of course, they should have had the songs written by somebody who doesn't suck. So those are my thoughts on The Princess and the Frog. Thank you again for listening.